Good morning, Christ Church. We are going through an extended study in the Gospel of Matthew, and today in our Gospel reading, we hear about three healing stories. So the focus of our, our time together this morning, we're going to talk about healing, which is ironic as I myself, you might hear it on my voice, am getting over a cold right now. So um, if you've been around Christ Church for a while, you know healing is a deep part of this community. If you go to our website, you look up the mission statement, the vision, you'll see these words that part of our vision is to be a community of changed lives, mending our world for the praise of God's glory. You hear that word mending, it evokes um, that there's a, a, a missional element that we participate in healing as a way of saying this reflects what God wants to do in each and every one of our lives. We believe he wants to extend his healing to the city of Austin, to the whole world, and that God's on a mission, a great mission, to remake all that has been broken and marred by the fall. You might have participated in a healing prayer service around here. From time to time, we'll have healing prayer services where we uh, spend extended time bringing all of our, uh, any needs that we have, asking for the Lord to intervene in healing. Or maybe you've been a part of Living Waters, or you're beginning to be a part of Living Waters, a ministry program we have uh, that runs for about 15 or 20 weeks. It's about to start up that focuses on inner healing, inviting the Lord uh, to come in and totally uh, heal places of brokenness in our hearts. But healing, anytime we talk about healing, it can also be a controversial topic. There are nuances, there's ways you need to be able to speak about healing. And so uh, just to name a couple things today, you won't hear me say, um, as a Christian, you no longer get sick. Again, example A, myself, right now. You also won't hear me say, uh, some of you maybe have heard this phrase before, God doesn't heal because your faith isn't strong enough. And I've talked to people and encountered people before who have been told that, that if they just had stronger faith, then they would be healed. And I want to dispel that myth. That's not... I don't think that's a good and helpful way of reading the, the scriptures or participating in all of the, the history of the church. And we'll talk a little bit more about that today, but because this can be a controversial topic, I just want to name these two things at the get-go. Instead, I want to think about healing a little bit differently, and I want us to talk about healing a little bit differently. We're in the season of Epiphany right now. You know, Epiphany begins when we remember those wise men came to worship Jesus. This is the revelation of God has come into the world, and you remember the wise men come, and they bow down and worship him. And we often remember at that moment, and then in this season that we're living in now, that the gospel has gone out to the ends of the earth. Everyone has been brought in, everyone included, Jews, Gentiles, everyone alike included. And this is a revelation, something that you couldn't have just thought on your own, that this is how God is, the God who reveals himself to the nations. So we call it epiphany. And you guys know what an epiphany is, right? Have you ever had a, 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 an issue before, like a problem you're trying to solve, um, and you, you're thinking about it, and you're trying to get this problem figured out, and then you know when you're not thinking about it, you're taking a shower, or you're driving your car and your mind is wandering and just kind of you hit autopilot and all of a sudden you're struck by an idea and it's the solution to the problem. And as soon as you do that, everything becomes clear. Like you've had, we say you've had an epiphany. It all makes sense all of a sudden. We talk about it. It's like light has been shown into the darkness. There's a great revealing in that moment. That's what epiphany is. It is a revealing. So as we talk about healings today, as we look at this gospel story we just heard, I want us to think... How do these healings reveal something about God? How do these healings show us something about who Jesus is, about what type of king that he is? 
So we'll look at that. I want to look at healings and what healings themselves reveal about Jesus. But then I want to look um, one other angle as well. And what does, what does healing and our desire for healing say about us? What does our desire for healing, how we wrestle with sickness, our own weaknesses, what might that reveal about ourselves and who we are? So we'll look at these two epiphanies, these two revealings, revealing of Jesus and then revealing of ourselves as well. If you've got your scriptures, your Bible, open up to Matthew 8. If you have a program from today, pull out your, uh, your handout because we're going to be looking all through those 17 verses in Matthew chapter 8. And again, we've been in this long study going through the gospel of Matthew, and um, one of the joyful things as a preacher, you get to preach on things that you've never done extended study before. I have never studied healing in the gospel of Matthew. Do you know this is the first time that we see healing in Matthew? It's mentioned a little bit uh, in chapter four that just Jesus is healing people, but it doesn't give us any description. It's a teaser. It just says, okay, there's some healing happening going on, but we haven't gotten there yet. Today in chapter eight, as soon as Jesus walks down the mountain, you know for the last three months we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. It takes three months around here at Christ Church to get from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, and we've been learning how does Jesus call us to live this new reality, this, uh, this, this new teaching of the kingdom. He spends this extended time saying, this is what it looks like to be my followers, and immediately when he comes down, look at verse 1, when he comes down from the mountain, it's like immediately he's confronted with this person, a leper comes to him, and we've been learning from Jesus about the way of following his kingdom. Instantly, we're going to see kingdom power in action. We're going to see what it is, who this God is, on what authority can he command us, and we see his power flowing out of him. Jesus' healing ministry here is part of the announcement that the kingdom of God has really begun. And we'll see that all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. It shows up time and time again. In a couple of chapters, Jesus is going to send out his disciples. He says this, preach the gospel that the kingdom is here. And then do you know how he says to demonstrate it? Heal others. Preach the gospel and then go out and heal others. Jesus will heal on a Sabbath. And it, it, it ignites this controversy between the Pharisees and himself. And he has to spend time explaining what sort of a kingdom he's bringing. Healing is often the sign he is the powerful one who is present. So it's a major theme in the Gospel of Matthew, and it starts, we start seeing it here. We get this zoomed-in picture in Matthew chapter 8, this close-up vision of healing. Jesus comes down from the mountain, and this all happens in one day. Can you imagine a ministry day like this? You've just preached the greatest sermon in the history of all sermons, and uh, you, usually I have a Sunday afternoon nap. That's common for me. I've preached a couple of times. I think I've earned it. I've deserved. I get to lie down for a while. Jesus comes down the mountain. The first thing he does, he heals this man, this leper. And then he's confronted on his way to a home. He's confronted by a centurion, a Roman soldier. And he heals this servant at a great distance. And then as he walks into Peter's house, he sees Peter's mother-in-law and heals her with just the touch of his hands. And then in verse 16 and 17, Matthew, as our, our gospel editor, our writer who's compiling this, he gives us a summary statement, and he says, that evening, same day, my goodness, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. And then Matthew gives the reason. He says, this is to fulfill, and that's a major word in Matthew, is fulfilling all of the prophecies about Jesus. This is to fulfill 
what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses. He bore our diseases. That's Isaiah 53, that famous suffering servant passage. Healing is a sign, powerful sign in Jesus' ministry, and it reveals the truth that one day this king will fully reign, and one day there will be a day where there no longer is sickness. One day the king will reign so fully there no longer is even death itself. This is the Christian hope. So I want to zoom in on these three stories of healing, and there's three central characters here, the leper, the centurion servant, and the mother-in-law, and I'm going to put a chart up on the screens here, and we're going to look at some of the comparisons between um, how Jesus heals each of them. There's some similarities, and there's also some differences, and they, again, they, they show us something. They reveal something about who Jesus is. First, a similarity. Jesus crosses a barrier to heal each of these people, the leper is he's crossing a community barrier. You remember this. Um, In the Old Testament, if you're a leper, you are excluded from the community, you're excluded from the temple, you live outside, uh, away from the rest of the village, you are isolated. You know, you might think of, um, even in the past couple years in COVID, kind of living in some isolation, away from everyone else, away from physical touch. So you're not allowed to go to the temple. Uh, And you, you just, you live in this state of barrier from all Uh, all community. The centurion, this is a racial barrier Jesus crosses. Centurion is a Roman soldier and an enemy of Israel with a servant who's sick. The mother-in-law, this is a a gender barrier. Um, Here's a religious man, Jesus, touching a sick woman. It was not as common as it might be today. What do these healings reveal? They reveal the compassionate God who crosses distance to come and heal us. One commentary said that the whole of the gospel is summed up in Jesus' touch to the leper. Like when you see Jesus crossing boundaries of clean, unclean, going to the outsider, laying hands on this person, touching shoulder, touching face, touching hands, speaking a word of truth, the man says, are you willing? I am willing. Be healed. Like the whole of the gospel is wrapped up in that moment. Here you have the God who doesn't stay far off at distance, doesn't stay removed in the heavens, doesn't live isolated in the temple saying, clean yourselves up and then come to me. But he comes out, he breaks out like wildfire, crossing every barrier to come to this man. The gospel encapsulated in this act, the gospel that all of us are capable of receiving, the God who comes to us crosses barriers for us to heal us. And then look at the types of illnesses. First of all, with the leper, this is lifetime. It's chronic. It's physical. It's in his very body. It's his identity. We don't call him a leprous man. He's remembered as a leper. Just so much of life is wrapped up in his disease as well. For the, ser- for, um, the servant, the type of illness, it's sudden. It's serious. You get the sense as you're looking, look around at verse 5, 6, and 7. Uh, you can see the, 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 um, the centurion comes forward to Jesus and is like, you've got to help me right now. I don't, my servant hasn't always been paralyzed, but right now something's happened and we need help immediately. This is like something sudden, something severe, something that lands you in the emergency room. You know, something that um, it, it could be quite life-changing as soon as it happens. And you kind of, you hear the plea, come on, I need your help, Jesus, come on immediately right now. For Peter's mother-in-law, this is also some sudden sickness, but it doesn't seem as serious. You know, it's a sickness like maybe the flu, maybe strep throat, something like that. It's 
interruptive of daily life. It's debilitating. It could linger, but it doesn't seem life-threatening. She's lying down in the home. No one's running to get Jesus. You know, there's not quite the same stir with her. Look at the requests. This is so fascinating. The leper asks boldly for his own healing. He says in verse 2, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And do you hear the vulnerability of that request? How many times has this man sought healing and not received it? How many times has he gone forward, put himself in a vulnerable position like this? I've, I'll, I'll say this several times throughout this sermon. It takes great courage to pray it all for healing, to put yourself, to, to, to let your heart open up and say, I might be able to be healed. It takes courage to do that great act of faith that we see from the leper here, so brave to come forward. He asks for his own healing. Then we have the centurion. The centurion asks for the healing for the servant. We actually never see the servant in this passage. We only see his intercessor. One of the ways you might think of this is like intercessory prayer, that, we, that the, the centurion is lifting up. He's putting someone before Jesus and saying, Jesus, I know you can heal. Would you heal this person? Would you heal this servant? He's not asking. The servant's not asking. The centurion's asking on his behalf. It's one of the ministries of the church that we carry one another in prayer. That's why um, in just a few minutes, you'll hear, uh, we'll read, the, the, we'll go through the prayers of the people, and there will be a line where we pray a string of about 10 or 12 different names saying, Jesus, we hold before you as a body of believers these 12 people, and they have asked for healing, and would you heal them? We are interceding for them. Or it's why during communion... There's the healing prayer teams that are scattered around the room, and we invite you every week to go, to go with them and allow someone else on your behalf to intercede for you, to ask for Jesus to heal you. The mother-in-law, she doesn't even ask. She's lying in pain, in her fever. Jesus sees her. Jesus touches her. And you just, with her, you, you just get a sense of the compassion of God. When he sees pain, when he sees us in our pain, he moves towards us. He's, he doesn't move away. He moves towards us. Then this last question, how are they healed? They're healed also in some different ways. The leper is healed by word and touch. The servant, Jesus speaks a word from a distance. The mother-in-law by the gentle touch of Jesus. And I love, I love all three of these moments. Again, for the leper, can you imagine um, having been cut off for years perhaps Having been isolated, remember back again, I said this a moment ago, but you remember a few years ago, COVID, some people, um, we, just, if you lived alone during that time, you might have gone weeks, maybe months without physical touch from someone else, without being touched. And we remember hearing reports of just how hard that is as a human to not have, not have physical contact with someone else. And imagine this leper, how many months has it been? How many years has it been? Since the last time someone put hands on his shoulders or perhaps wrapped him up or a hand on the forehead, just some physical contact and the way Jesus responds to him, he doesn't just say, you know, be cleaned, but this going forward to him, this laying hands on him, this sacramental act of healing, promising, assuring the man, you are healed, be healed, be clean. With the mother-in-law, we also see a gentle form of touch. And for this mother-in-law, I wonder, how many years has it been since she was mothered? You know, she's perhaps an older woman. How many years since the last time someone held her, 
Someone cared and attended her. I can imagine Jesus just holding her hands and the warmth of his body going into hers, caring for her. I was struck this week, though, especially in thinking about the centurion. And as I was reading and praying through this passage, and again thinking, what does, what does this healing reveal about Jesus? I, my heart and my mind kept landing on this in verse 9. The centurion says in verse 9, Lord, you don't... He, first of all, he asks. He says, Jesus, would you come? Would you come and heal my servant? And then Jesus starts on his way. I can imagine the, the disciples, like a, you know, the, the merry band kind of following along. And as Jesus is starting along, the centurion turns around and says, wait, hold on a minute. Verse 9, you don't actually even have to come into my house. Just speak the word. I'm a man under authority. I'm a man under exousia. It's a powerful word in the Greek. I'm the man who has rightful authority to command other people. When I tell a person to come, they come. When I tell a person to depart, they depart. I am a man under authority with people under me. You don't have to come into my house because you have authority. You have right authority over sickness and disease. If you speak the word, I know my servant will be healed. Jesus says, I've never seen faith like this. But even among the people of God, I've not seen a faith like this. Jesus speaks. Healing happens. His words have power. There's power in even the, the spoken word of Jesus. He has perfect authority over sickness. When Jesus speaks and he says, be healed, the sickness is gone. When Jesus speaks to a storm and tells the waves, be still, creation surrenders. They're hearing the same voice in the beginning of the time that said, let there be light. When he speaks, there is power power that enacts, power that actually accomplishes what the words say they will do. And this healing particularly reveals who Jesus is. Here you have someone more powerful than sickness, someone ultimately more powerful than death itself. Different politicians, different philosophies will tell us how to make sickness not as bad. So we'll hear we've got policies on how to alleviate um, our poverties or how to alleviate hunger or how to make sickness not, uh, how you can get insurance and all these different things. We have politicians that enact policies which are good. We have philosophies for dealing with this. I know of no other leader who says, I take your infirmities. I take your sicknesses. I take your weaknesses and I myself bring healing. No one else who has the authority that Jesus has to end the sickness. Jesus picking up our infirmities, bearing our diseases. Here is the true epiphany, the true revealing, a healing that reveals God carrying our sicknesses, God identifying with our weaknesses, God healing us. I have not come for the healthy, Jesus says. I have come for the sick. Here is the great physician revealing himself. And here is God's stance towards you always to move forward in care, in love, in consideration, in healing, even in the moments of pain. And we're going to transition and talk about that a little bit now. Because just as healing reveals something about Jesus, the desire for healing and sickness itself reveals something about ourselves. Something about ourselves. There's an epiphany here as well about our hearts, about our trusts. And I want us to consider a few questions um, what 
sickness and healing might reveal about us. And when I think, I was just kind of reflecting on this, and this is anecdotal, so I, I'm not quoting any stat or anything like this, but anecdotally, it seems to me that even people in my life that are not religious people, um, you know, they're, they're just very ardent, they're doubters. Um, even people in my life, when in moments of their own sickness or in moments of other people's sickness, there's a temptation to pray, to want to call out, to say, this sickness is confronting me with my lack of control. That's what sickness does. It confronts you with the fact we're not in control as much as we want to think that we are. And it doesn't matter how young you are, how health conscious you are. It doesn't matter what botanical shampoos you buy to protect your endocrine system. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are, what sort of access to healthcare you have. All of us are fragile beings. We are created. We are not the creator. We have a, a service around here every year, Ash Wednesday service, that a number of you have participated in. And there's that moment every year where you come forward for the imposition for the ashes. And a priest makes a sign of the cross over your head with ashes and says, remember you are dust. To dust you will return. We are fragile beings, and when you are confronted with a sickness, an illness, or when someone you love is, immediately you know, I am not in control. I don't have control anymore, and as soon as you realize you're not in control, the first thing that should come up is fear. Because if I'm not in control, then how do I get through this? If I'm not in control, then what offers me stability beyond this sickness for myself or for someone I love? You know, sickness is another way of saying weakness. And the Bible is very clear. We are to offer our weaknesses to God. And when we do, he actually shines most clearly through our weaknesses. One of the images I have is that our weaknesses are like kind of these cracks in our body. And when we offer them, there's a way of offering them to God. It's like his light seems to shine most brightly through our weaknesses, not our strengths. The Church of England, uh, they have, I'm going to put this up here. There's a, a statement on healing from the Church of England. And um, it's actually really long and, and really quite theologically robust. It'd be worth Googling to get the whole thing. I pulled out a couple of sentences I want to share with you all. And I want you to pay attention to the connection between weakness and sickness. They write, with the incarnation of Jesus, God begins the renewal of our alienated, weakened, and fragmented human condition. Jesus' baptism expresses his solidarity with us in our weakness. And his healing ministry is seen as the outworking of the suffering servant who took our infirmities and bore our diseases. A common New Testament term for sickness is weakness. And it carries broad associations of powerlessness and vulnerability including human vulnerability in the face of the dominion of sin and death. As Christians face weakness or sickness, they receive God's grace expressed sometimes in an experience of healing and sometimes through the strength that comes in the bearing of weakness. As we call sickness weakness, we begin to see what this reveals about this, that we often are uncomfortable with weakness. We're uncomfortable with weakness because the world tells us to use our strengths to prove ourselves worthy. Whatever strengths you have, whatever power, whatever money that you possess, use it to display your identity. But here's a different invitation. Embrace weakness. 
Trust that God's power upholds you in your weakness. We often want instantaneous healing, but God's healing is often slow, very gradual, very incremental sometimes. We want supernatural healing, but very often God works through the natural means of doctors, medicine, rest, friendship, and chicken soup. We don't want pain, yet God has not promised to spare us from pain, and the more you read scripture, the more you find actually it is in our pain when our character is most deeply refined. He allows us to go through seasons of pain, and they become the instrument of forming us into the identity of Jesus. Thinking about sickness and weakness and body and strength and all of this together, I had a friend recently who sent me a wonderful quote from a book called Making Friends with Time from this theologian named John Swinton. And John Swinton, if you don't know who this guy is, uh, it's worth writing his name down and looking him up later. He is a character. He is someone that you would want to be friends with. He's a professional theologian. Uh, Before he was a theologian, he was a registered nurse in a psychiatric ward. And he uh, primarily worked and cared for patients experiencing extreme mental health disorders, bipolar disorder or uh, schizophrenia or not just depression, but something called double depression. So he's working in this. Before he did that, he was in a band. So dude just loves to rock out, all right? It's kind of a a colorful character. Goes to seminary, is now a theologian, and he brings all of his previous experience, particularly in psychiatric ward. He writes theologies on faith and mental health challenges. He's actually got a book of some notoriety, um, Finding Jesus in the Storms on Faith and Mental Health. And if that's an area that you're interested in reading about, this one won some of the Book of the Year awards a couple years ago with Christianity Today. Finding Jesus in the Storms, John Swinton. But he writes in this book, Making Friends with Time. Oh, and he's a theologian, I should say this also, of uh, around areas of disability as well. And we think of disability and that word disability. And then we think, And what is ability? And what is normal? And who's normal? So he's he's talking and writing about that, and we're, we're in the context of weakness right now. And he writes, there are no able bodies. Everyone is temporarily abled in body. Let me say that again. Everyone is temporarily abled in body. Because everyone's body is moving deeper and deeper into weakness over the course of your life. That's the process of, of aging. If, if nothing ever happens to you, you age. Weakness. All of us are living or experiencing a, a growing into weakness. And the more you read this book, it's really just quite amazing. The more he starts to flip on, your, on its head what actually is, is God prizing most in the world. To be clear, and I want to name this as well, I do think having special considerations like primary parking spaces, learning resources, occupational therapists are vital. But the point is everyone experiences weakness in body. Which means this, and did you notice this in Jesus' healings today? Every healing is only a temporary healing. The three people that Jesus, we read about Jesus healing today, the leper, the centurion's servant, Peter's mother-in-law, all three received healing in that moment and later died. None of them are still living. All healing 
is temporary. Until Jesus returns and finally judges sin, and he puts death to death, ending the satanic powers, until then, all of our bodies are at best temporarily abled. We will all wear down, we will all die, and any healing we experience will be a temporary healing. So how do we think about faithfully praying and asking God, God, I do want you to heal, even temporary heal. How do we hold that and also hold this reality we are all living uh, in weakness? How do we hold the two together? I want to offer to you a paradigm uh, that we've talked about before around here. This is, it's one of the ways I evaluate a lot of different things, not just with this, but, um, but in many different ways. I think it'll make sense as soon as I say it. But I want to offer you this paradox of glory and suffering. And I want to encourage you to hold on to both of those words, a theology of glory and a theology of suffering that makes sense of healing, makes sense of weakness in our life. Let me spell it out a little bit. Paradox, something that seems like both things can't be true, but it is somehow true that God does heal theology of glory and we also do suffer theology of suffering. So we think about it like this, a theology of glory says we boldly ask God for healing, boldly put ourselves out there and know that God is able to Heal. We contend that God can intervene in our pain, that he can supernaturally change situations. He can change things in creation. He can change relationships between people. He can change relationships between nations. He can bring healing. There is work that only he can do. Everyone that Jesus healed experienced the glory of God that day. There's um, an author, Craig Keener. He's a scholar. He wrote a, a book, 1,200 pages long, which is far longer than any book should ever be written. And in it, he documented hundreds of healing miracles that have happened around the world. The book is called Miracles, and it is a scholastic uh, just reporting of eyewitness accounts of physical healings, of people being brought back literally from the dead, of eyes being opened, God at work in the world in a very powerful, supernatural way. In my own life, I can think of moments. I'm thinking right now of a moment of a desperate prayer for God's healing not too long ago. And quite frankly, I was angry and frustrated. And I watched, in response to that prayer, God's healing. I've witnessed God's healing in a particular area. That's the first part of the paradox. Glory, we pray, God, intervene. Make what's broken whole. We can pray for that. And here's the second side of the paradox we hold on to, suffering. Suffering emphasizes God's presence with us. Emmanuel, the touch of Jesus on the leper. The God who comes so close to us that you have never been separate from him your whole life. There has never been a moment. You remember what the psalm says? Make your, your, if you were to go all the way to the highest mountains or if you were to make your bed in hell itself, you have never been away from God for even a moment. This is a God who enters into every form of pain and suffering you've ever conceived of, you've ever been a part of in your life. He has never been absent in your life. And he epitomizes this when he himself dies on the cross bringing redemption to all of our suffering. God is with you in suffering, in your brokenness, in your broken moments. I have a friend uh, who avoided church for a long season. She's a, a, a faithful Christian, but would show up at church, and she has a very, um, she has a skin disease that's very physical, uh, very noticeable, and very irritating. And as soon as she would go to churches sometimes, there would be just this uncomfortability with those around her wanting to put their hands on her and pray immediately for her healing. And she hasn't experienced healing, and it became such an uncomfortable moment, she just stopped going to the churches altogether. She's made peace 
Christ is with her. She prays faithfully in her own way. Lord, if you would, you could heal. But I accept you are with me as I am right now. She's in a community now of love and respect that's able to hold suffering with her, recognizing God present with her. And that's the story of so many people, so many to be able to say, God, I know you're able to heal, and I also know you're able to strengthen me in the weakness. You're with me. You're not absent from me. Some of the people I have deepest respect for in my life are those who continue in the journey through the greatest seasons of pain, who live with chronic illnesses, and their very life, it's like a, a witness. God is with them. They offer their weakness to God, and I find my faith so encouraged by them. This paradox of suffering and glory says that Christians, as Christians, we stand at the crossroads of life. We hold suffering, the reality of suffering, we name it as suffering, and our eyes are always at these crossroads on the horizon, saying hope may break in also at any moment. You can't do this alone. That's why we emphasize community so much around here. It's why we say you need to be in a small group. You need to be with, with others who can carry you and, and help you to name reality and to hold out hope that God might break in. I want to close today as we've gone through this Epiphany sermon, and um, I want to put some questions up here on the screen. And these are just invitation, kind of reflection invitations that you might, one of these might land with you. But after a sermon like this today, I want to encourage you to, to spend some time praying maybe later this week, uh, maybe a journal time or just a prayer walk or something like that, and to invite the Lord to speak to you. One of the things for me as I was praying and, and thinking about this sermon this week, I was amazed at how much fear I have around my own health. There's an invitation for me to move from fear deeper into faith. So let me read these to you and see if one stands out that you might reflect on this week. Where in your life do you notice weakness? And where might God be inviting you to hope deeper in his healing? And where might God be inviting you to recognize his presence in your weakness? And like the centurion, who might you be called to carry in prayer? Christ Church, here's my encouragement to you. Take courage. Have faith. Jesus, the good king who carried disease, carried sickness, who left the throne of heaven to be pierced on a cross, to promise that one day all sin all sickness, all disease, all death itself will be washed away. Have hope in him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.